This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Once a month, we host a One Thing webinar. The purpose of this webinar is to bring on an author whose book we feel is aligned with our brand and that will bring value to you. This month, we did a live webinar with someone who has played a big role in my life from a mentorship standpoint. You're going to hear all about it. And his book, The Sales Edge, has just launched. So if you are in a sales capacity, you may want to go check out The Sales Edge. Here's why we chose to bring this person on today. Jim Rohn says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you've been listening to the One Thing podcast since the beginning, then you know that, quote, changed the trajectory of my life. Our question for you is, who are your five? Who are the five people you are actually spending the most time with? Are they living the kind of life you want to be living? Throughout our guest's journey, you are going to hear how he has been surrounded by some of the titans of the personal development and sales industry, the right hand to many of them, including Tony Robbins, and how he learned one thing from each of them, that he went on to make a habit that over the course of a career has made everything else easier or unnecessary. With that, let's get into this episode with author of The Sales Edge, Gene McNaughton. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Hey everyone, welcome to our monthly series for the One Thing webinar where we bring on an author to talk about their book that is related to the principles of the one thing, the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. Today, I am excited to bring on someone who has played a a big role in my life from a mentorship standpoint way back when I was in medical sales and my income got slashed and my colleague had a stroke and I just, I felt so lost. The man you're going to meet today was one of the people that I was in intentional about getting into relationships with because very specifically, he had achieved extraordinary results in the sales arena. And this idea that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with is something that we have connected on for a long time. You know, Back when he started his career in Gateway Computers, when it was this small little company, helped scale it to $11 billion, and then became the right-hand man to Tony Robbins, was his executive vice president of sales, helped scale his company, then moved on to be the president for Chet Holmes and the ultimate sales machine to now what he does going into large corporations, helping them transform their sales process. And each step along the way of his career, 
he identified one thing that he could do that if he made a habit would make everything else easier or unnecessary when it comes to getting the sales edge and really understanding what it is you can do to help your customers get what they want. So with that, Gene McNaughton, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I am so pumped to be with you again. Obviously, now you're in Texas and I'm here in Iowa, but you know, virtual stuff this, these days make it feel like we're sitting at that coffee shop again. Yeah. So let's go back to uh, the Gateway days. I, I think what would, could be interesting is to pull the thread through each stop along your career. What was that one thing that you learned that the people who are listening to this can, can really adopt in their own life? Well, I mean, there are hundreds of great breakthroughs and monumental things that happened in my 12 years at Gateway. But the one thing that I really remember was I was still fairly new with the company and there must have been about 40 sellers. Now, we were in a literally a tin shed that was built in a carved out cornfield in South Dakota. And I still remember to this day that Ted Waite, the CEO, was got all the sales team together. We are all in little cubes. And he stood on a chair and he was smoking a cigarette. He was drinking a Coca-Cola. He had a ponytail, if you remember the guy in sunglasses. <laughs> and But I, this is something that just really burns in my brain. When he stood up and said, one day, we may be, he said, we may be small now, but one day we are going to outsell IBM. Now, you got to remember in 1992, IBM was the big gorilla in the marketplace. They owned out of 70, 80% of market share. And I still remember being with people that are like, oh, what's, what's this guy smoking? Like kind of making fun of the guy. But, but here's, what, here's the lesson. The, the guy had the vision. He, he was declaring something that seemed impossible. It's kind of like when John Kennedy declared that we were going to be the first to put a man on the moon and bring him back or her back safely. And so many naysayers were saying, there's no way this is ever going to happen. This guy did it. And you know what? We did do that. You know, by the end of that same century, we were, I think, number one or number two in the United States. We were in the top five globally for the number of computers shipped. And, you know, who knows if it would have happened anyway. But the one thing I can tell you is he was extremely clear about, you know, we weren't just here to make a living. He, he always said, we want to design a life. We want to create a legacy. And he did that. Mm. So very cool. That's probably my fondest memory. So what I'm hearing you say is just casting that bold vision. He casted a, a major league vision and he held to it. And everything we did, it's almost like he had mentally reversed, you know, year 2000 backwards to say, what do we need to do to be number one? And that included at, thereafter Microsoft uh, partnerships with little companies at that time, like Microsoft, when, you know, Bill Gates actually came to South Dakota. I'm like, who's that weird looking guy? Well, <laughs> I mean, this. Think about it. it was my, nobody had heard of Microsoft. We were when I was selling computers. You were still in DOS mode. You know, C program backslash backslash. There were no icons and you know things to click on to speed up how to use programs like your financial programs or word processing is what they called it in those days. And you know, we partnered with them. We were the first ones to do it. Mm. And from there, it was just things just exploded. But it all it all started with. You know, a, a farm. He's a farm kid. His parents were cattle farmers, but he had this gigantic dream and made sure everybody knew it. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the just knowing your backstory that's highly applicable to the one thing is that one of the three commitments is the idea of moving from E to P, from being entrepreneurial, relying on your own natural abilities, to being purposeful by following a model and a system. What did this look like in terms of gateway? Because you got put in the position where you had to develop training for the organization and, and for the reps. How did you start developing processes that ultimately became the sales edge? 
Well, I, I was when I first started in sales there, I was working the night shift and I'd never really had sales training per se. It was I was a likable kid and I worked hard. I was single, so I could work a lot of hours. But I remember about four months into my career and my boss handed me my commission check, which was very small. I was, you know, out of the 60 reps at that time, I was probably in the bottom 10. And he just looked at me and shook his head in disgust. Like he said, you should be doing so much better than you are. And probably like a lot of people, I had a lot of excuses. Well, I'm working the night shift and well this and well that. And he just said, look, why don't you take a day off and go learn from our top performers? Because we were all in cubicles. Now, these were people that I really didn't talk to that much because like they were the top performers and I was just the lowly night shift sales guy. But I found that they were more than glad to let me come and listen to them and observe them and sit with them and observe what they did. So I found the top four performers. I, I worked up the courage to ask. And for all the people out here listening, don't be afraid to ask somebody for help. And you'll be happily surprised at how many people are willing to give you time, You know, if, even if it's 15 minutes or if you buy them a coffee or whatever, if you get to observe them, you'll be surprised at how many people will say yes. That was my first hurdle to get over was my own psychology. But I discovered really quickly that our top performers all had you know, certain unique skills that they did over and over again. And I was taking notes. So I went back to my cubicle and I hung my notes up on the wall and I just followed the best of what the others were doing. And pretty soon my sales, I moved from the bottom to upper bottom <laughs> to lower middle to middle to... <laughs> One thing know. at a time, baby. One thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> but, but by the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. Yeah, that old Zig saying. But you know, I found myself you know, 10 months later or, or in month 10. So six months later, I found myself you know, at the top of the division. And my conversion rates were higher than anybody. My referrals were higher than anybody. And the, a management job came open and I became a manager. And that means I worked, had to move back to the night shift and take on all the new hires. And I quickly discovered that while the new hires, after they had gone through product training, were, were good at understanding the products, very few of them were good at the, the skill of selling. Mm. And so I took all the stuff, all the sticky notes off my cube, typed them up on a single document, and I started holding training sessions to teach new hires how to sell. Well, very quickly, the new hire performance increased significantly. I mean, you cannot underestimate the power of a company that has a great vision backed by great training. And I was within 120 days, I was asked by the leadership team to take what I was teaching these new hires and go out and teach everybody. And I was like, I'm not a trainer. I'm just doing what I know works. And they said, you, and they were the ones that were kind of saying, you can do this. You're the best person for it. And it kind of forced me into a role of having to really learn how to create systems and methodologies and repeatable training. And that was 1993. Mm -hmm. And that's really when I wrote my first sales training manual. It was called the, the Seven Steps of Selling. Very creative name, but there were seven steps in my mind, a lot of which still is the anchor of what I teach today. Well, go into what is the Sales Edge because you've got your new book out, The Sales Edge. What does Edge stand for? Well, EDGE is an acronym for questions. And one of the things that we all, I think we know, is the importance as a seller is to ask good questions. Now, I heard that and I thought that totally makes sense. But what questions do you ask? Mm -hmm. And is there a better order? And the EDGE is simply an acronym that stands for, the E stands for, first, you've got to take the time to educate yourself. And here's why. Most sellers, when they get in front of a client, will lead by talking about the features and benefits of whatever it is they sell. They can't wait to start showing the product or 
are showing the spec sheets of what it is they have. And many salespeople miss the, the fine art of just being patient and asking questions. I mean, the truth is, Jeff, you know this. How can you adequately present a solution to somebody if you don't understand what they're trying to do, if you don't understand information about them? You don't. You don't, but you'd be surprised at how often that still happens today. But the first thing is you got to educate yourself. And these are all open-ended questions that start with words like who or what or where or when or why. And while this seems like common sense, it's, you know, I'm in the game. I'm not a sideline reporter. I am in the game of selling and I interview and observe thousands of salespeople per year. And I still see, see the same mistakes getting made. So we start by educating ourselves on who, what are they trying to do? A lot of research you can get online. You, know, you can learn about them. You can learn about the company you're talking to. You can learn about their goals and objectives. That's all on LinkedIn or on Google somewhere. And the next step, which is the most important, is the D and edge, which is you've got to develop a gap. Now, here's why this is important. If there is no gap, if they're not trying to do something that they're not able to get done, or if they don't have a problem that needs to be solved, there's a tremendous unlikelihood that there's going to be a sale. So you've got to spend time in that gap. Now, initially, when I got out into field sales, I was taught you got to find the problem, find the problem, find the problem. And in many cases, people, they don't think they really perceive they have a problem right now. But if I were to ask them a question like, well, if you could take your current situation as it relates to whatever the product or service is and make it even better, what would that look like? Now, notice I use the word even better mm. because that softens the question. If I said, if I, if, if you could make your leadership skills better, Jeff, well, there's an insinuation that it's not good enough. But if I said, if you can make it even better than it is, right? You may rank yourself on a scale of 10 and eight. And I said, well, what would it take for you to be a nine? And then you go, wow, you know, I probably would want to do this more or do that more or spend more time here and less time there. So we got to take time to develop the gap. What are they trying to do? Or what is the problem they're trying to get away from? Then great sellers are patient and they move to the G in the edge process. That means creating a greater gap. Now, this is a technique I learned after working with Tony Robbins. And the technique is called future pacing. Help them think six months or 12 months down the road. And one thing I want you to, as a listener, to get is knowing that the future is an awesome force. So if you help them think about 12 months from now and the problem is solved, they're not worrying about it anymore, they're not thinking about it anymore, what is their life or their business going to be like? Or if they've identified a problem and you say, let's imagine this problem persists, how could that even get worse 12 months from now? What's it going to mean to not have it solved? So you take them to the future. And at this point, if you've got good rapport with them, at this point, they're not thinking about if they're going to do something. They, they mentally bypass that. They think a year from now. And you, you get them either thinking, okay, it is going to be nice to have this solved or gosh, what if it got worse? And then the most important part of this whole process is the final E and edge, which is creating an emotional connection. Now you do this not through features and benefits. You do this by telling a story. In business, we call it a case study. In consumer sales or residential sales or one-on-one -on -one sales, you might call this a uh, use study or you might call it a testimonial story, whatever vernacular you use. But being able to articulately tell a story of somebody like them that was in the same position, dealing with the same problems, that took action with you, got the desired result. And as a result of your interaction as the seller, your products and services, their business, their life, their body, things have gotten better. And if you can package that with a testimonial, if you have this written, 
super powerful. Well, there's, there's this idea in the one thing, it's a quote from FM Alexander, that people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. Wow. Their habits yeah. decide their futures. When I hear you walk through the edge process, whether it be educating yourself, I'm asking the question, what's the one habit you can acquire? Such that by acquiring it would make educating yourself on your customer easier or unnecessary. And I know for you, Gene, you just sit down for five minutes and get on LinkedIn as a habit, right? Yes. Every single time. If I'm meeting with somebody that I don't know who they are, and that happens on a weekly basis, I'm going to go to LinkedIn so I can understand, okay, what's been their career progression? What have, where did they go to school? What are charities they're fond of? What are they posting? Are they posting articles about certain things? I'll look at their Twitter feed to see what's most important to people. I'll get on Google and Google their names. But if I can find three to five things that I'm impressed with about this person, then I have the solid grounding to start the meeting off to say, look, I've been doing some research. I see that, Jeff, you're, uh, you're an avid reader, obviously. And I see that you made a comment about a certain book. And if I've read the book, I'll say, what'd you like best? You know, so I can just, you know, rapport is really the foundation of all of this. Mm-hmm. And even back in the nineties, when I teach the seven steps of selling, the very first step was mental preparation, was feeding your brain, uh, working on yourself. But the second step was the science and the art of building rapport. Cause if you have rapport with people, they're going to open up more and, and give you honest answers to the questions you're about to ask them mm-hmm. as it relates to, you know, doing something in relevance to your product and service. Yeah, yeah. So my question for you who is watching or listening to this is as you go through the edge process, whether it be educating yourself, de- developing a gap, creating a greater gap, and ultimately the emotional connection, what's the one habit you can form such that by forming it would make truly forming that connection with your customer easier or unnecessary? And how do you keep whittling it down to something that is so small to the point it's like, I sit down for five minutes before the call and do a little bit of research. Gene, when you, you fast forward, you've worked with not only some, some really large companies and, and produced some amazing results, but you've also worked with some of the personal development greats. What have been some of the most powerful habits that you have formed surrounding yourself with these types of people? Well, I, let's, let's talk about, everybody wants to know about Tony Robbins. And the, <laughs> if, Tony. If, if, uh, well, yeah, of the, I, gosh, thousands of things. Now, keep in mind, I was a fan through the 12 years I was in corporate America through his books, tapes, and CDs. But being able to see him behind the curtain and what happens when he's not on stage was super powerful. The biggest thing I learned from him was congruency. Everything he teaches, he does. All those stories he tells are real. There's no exaggeration. There's no hyperbole. He is the real deal. When he talks about health and what to eat and what not to eat, that's how he lives his life. When he talks about how he cares for and respects other people, that's how he lives his life. Even in, you know, at two in the morning, he's just spoke for 14 hours and he still does debriefs. After every time he speaks, he spends another, while everybody else is asleep getting ready for the next day, he's in feedback mode from his team. And he's saying, okay, I said this, make sure and capture that. And then let's go through the plan for tomorrow. He is meticulous at standards. Chet Holmes is another great one. Another guy I saw behind the scenes. So you read the stuff in the books, you see the videos, brilliance and greatness. But I witnessed another guy that was a congruent with what he taught. In other words, he didn't just, he wasn't a sideline reporter that talked about his perspective of marketing or sales. He lived that stuff. He built a company from himself to 
you know, 75 employees and, you know, many, many millions of dollars of revenue. He did all that stuff because he was in the game and in the grind. But if you've read his book, he talks about something calling called pig headed discipline and determination. And if you're from the Midwest, that really rings home because we grew up in the farm, around farms, but he was that way when he found something that was a something that he thought could work. He drove that with everything he had and not everything worked. He tried some things that didn't work. And every time he had a failure or something didn't work out the way he wanted, he he was on to the next thing. It did not phase him to try something and it not work. But the one thing he always was doing was trying new things. Both Chet, Tony, and then I also worked with a guy named John Asaraf from the movie The Secret. Their whole lives are committed at the highest level to serving other people. And when you get a chance to see that in real life, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, I was number two to all three of these guys. And you know, I considered myself, this sounds funny to say, a good number two. <laughs> I can't believe I just said those words. On the one thing. <laughs> On the one thing. There you go. But I, I, if I said, though, now you take three of these greats, these truth, these guys are legends. Chet's passed away, but John and Tony Robbins are still doing their thing and impacting millions of lives but I would say congruency to what it is they teach. Mm -hmm. How important has following what we call following the path of mastery, meaning you are a consummate student of what you do not yet know, constantly going on that road to further developing yourself, how has that played a role in everything that you've done? Well, I I don't know if Bruce Lee made this up, uh, but I read a Bruce Lee book and he said, true masters realize they're a master of nothing. Mm. And what that, what that, the underlying message of that is there's you never achieve quote unquote mastery. You're you're always in the pursuit of, even if you're 95 or 98. I read a story about um, one of the great speakers that was still speaking at 95 years old because they they knew there was always something to learn. There was another life to touch. That one phrase or one saying could have been the thing that caused somebody to to get the job or get the promotion or win the deal or stay alive in some cases. So these people that are truly congruent with their message, it's not about the money. It's Mm -hmm. about their desire to change lives. All three of the greats that I just mentioned, and you go back to Zig and you go back to Napoleon Hill, everything it is they did was dedicated towards helping others. The money follows. Yeah. Usually. Well, when you when we go down the the sales rabbit hole cuz that's your true area of expertise, when you look at the sales greats, how many of them feel like they're great, they know it all versus what percentage of them are just on this constant road to mastery? Gosh, if a percentage would be hard to put to it, but I, it it's it's rare that I don't run into the person that either says, well, Gene, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been selling the same stuff in the same territory, and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I always challenge them to say, that's really not true. If you study neuroplasticity, which means brain flexibility, it'll tell you that there, there's no end to what you can learn as long as you're committed to learning it. And there's great research studies coming out of some of the old age homes where they thought it was all physical activity that would cause the body to be healthier. Now they're finding that by stimulating them mentally, teaching them new things, how to play chess, how to dance, new languages, learning how to play chess, mm-hmm. that the, they're seeing a direct tie to the mind and the body as well as the spirit. So I hear you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And then I see the person that could say, I- I've heard all this before. I've never heard it. 
So I know, you know, I was just in front of a, a group of sellers from a Fortune 100 company, and they brought their top salespeople in because they had a new product. They wanted to brainstorm how to figure out how to sell it. And I remember sitting in that meeting, and, and everybody got up and introduced themselves. And I've been here for 26 years. I've been here for 32 years. I've been here for 18 years. And I'm like, holy cow, what am I going to teach these pros that have been selling for this, not just selling for 20 years, they've been in, selling the same for the same company for 20 years. And I quickly realized the one thing that was common for all of them, they were there to learn. There wasn't anybody in that room with their arms folded like, I can't believe I'm here. These people were all taking notes. And I, I realized in those, you know, it's a, it's a vast difference to, to train new hires than it is 20-year veterans. You just have to climb higher in the tree. You have to bypass some of the basics that you know you learned back in the 90s for in their cases and get to the high-level stuff. So you just got to be able to be attentive to your audience and yeah. meet them at their level and take them to the next level. Well, what I appreciate about that is, and I've shared this on the podcast before, but the idea that Gary says the number one reason people don't achieve extraordinary success is because they're unwilling to endure the monotony of success. You know, mm-hmm. extraordinary results over time is not the new shiny object. It's the same thing. <laughs> the true priority is done over and over and over again. And the backbone of that is a commitment to following the path of mastery being a master of what you know and an apprentice of what you don't. So my question for you who's listening to this is where in your world are you imagining yourself like you've already arrived? You've imagined that you've already mastered it. And how can you turn it on its head and ask, what have I yet to discover? Wow, that's powerful. And and I'll I'll give you a great example. And Jeff, you know, while I've coached you, you've also coached me. And so has, you know, Jay and Gary through their writings. And, you know, I worked on this book for, you know, quote unquote, worked on it for 10 years. And I would, <laughs> and there's probably other people on this call right now that can say the same thing that you start, then you stop, then you learn something new and you say, I can't write this. I got to write this. I had every excuse, had, had kids, had, you know, my parents died, two of my sisters died. But until I got very serious and said, okay, I'm going to launch this book. It's going to be on what would have been my dad's 90th birthday. That's Monday, July 16th. I want to do it in my hometown in Sioux City, Iowa, which is where I am right now. I had a team of people that I had hired to get things done on the book, graphic design and you know all the launch plans and all of that. But I purposely hired somebody because I needed an accountability partner. Mm. So if you look at the methodology, this is in the book. It's get clear on what you want, your one thing, reverse engineer by date. So have a timeline on it. Get people around you that support you both emotionally and then accountability wise. And you, you've got, but I still had to do the work. And there, there was no sexiness when I was, you know, at my computer at 2.15 in the morning typing when I can barely see straight because my eyes are so strained. There is no sexiness or excitement in that. But I had the date. I had other people that depended on me. I had a person in my life that supported me and and watched the kids while I was staying up late and writing was the most unselfish person in the world to join me in getting this pushed across the finish line. And I just got off a interview with our local newspaper. I'm going to go on all the TV stations and have an honorarium to both my dad and, and all my friends and family and here in the city. And I, I couldn't be, I, the, whatever comes out of it financially is completely irrelevant. I, I couldn't be happier that this, ha- you know, I set the big goal and followed the, the tried and true process. And it's in the one thing it's in think and grow rich is get clarity, establish a timeline, get around the right people, 
But all those things in place, if you don't do the work, it won't get done. But I did the work. Yeah. That's, I'm, that is what I'm most proud of. I love that. I love that. And I want to shift. And when we talk about doing the work, especially in a sales capacity, you mentioned earlier, so many people, uh, when they try to explain what they do um, to a to a prospect with the hope of making them a customer, they end up just going through features and benefits. And yep. I know at the backbone of the sales edge is this idea of really truly having clarity on the problem that you resolve, the results that you get, and why you are different. Walk through that a little bit. It's a very simple methodology. We call it creating the power message. And you're right. Most sellers lead with features and benefits and then try to backtrack and tell the story. And But great sellers, you find, they don't lead with features and benefits. They lead to the features and benefits. That's the aftermath. In establishing your core power message, it's four simple principles. And this is number one, is what is it that really makes you and your company different? And that's as easy as interviewing your best clients. Why you have, especially by today's standards, you through online have variety of sources of which you can buy anything you buy from. But why, why do you buy from certain vendors or places? Like I'm a fan of Best Buy, for example. Now I could get electronics and things that we all buy online at Amazon easily. But I like going to Best Buy. Why? Because they have a educational approach. They really take, they, they don't push me. They're not trying to close me. They're not trying to do unnecessary add-ons. Mm. You know, I have so many good experiences about Best Buy. And that's why as a brick and mortar company, they're still going strong. But what is it that makes you different? There's a great saying I heard that says, by today's standards, different is better than better. One of the unique twists that is in the sales edge is, you know, I, I was thinking is like, you know, everything we're doing is trying to get to certain people. And usually in B2B, it's, it's directors and VPs or C-level folks. Yet when you establish, when you really look at and understand where relationships are established, it's usually at procurement where it's all negotiation. They don't think strategically. And if you really look at what, what makes you different from everybody else, why do your current clients buy from you? Getting that articulated. Secondly, clearly understanding what is the core series of problems that you and your product or service solves and for who? What are the typical titles that you're involved with? If it's at home, it's both a husband and wife. If it's in business, it might be the director of operations. It might be a VP of HR. But what are the typical problems they're experiencing that you can anticipate? And how do you solve them in a unique way? Three, what are some real benefits and values that your clients get by working with you? Now, this comes in the form of testimonials. This comes in the form of case studies where somebody had a problem, they worked with you and your firm or you and your company, they, they, they got a certain, certain result, and what is that result meant to them? And that comes in the form of a testimonial. And the other thing that people miss is the importance in today's world of proof. Proof comes in the form of something documented. Like if you go buy anything on Amazon, I don't know if you do this, Jeff, but before I make that buy, I always go to the reviews. reviews. Don't you? Yep. And you'll see the the bars that'll say you've got so many five stars, four, three, two, and one. Well, I'll look at one five star randomly. I don't look at the top one. Then I go to the one stars to say, okay, what do the naysayers say? And then I'll go back to the fours and fives to say, okay, was this person just having a bad day and left a bad review? 
And then if I see an abundance of fives and fours, then I feel much more confident confident in my purchase. Same thing is true if you're not buying online. They want to know from you. Show me your testimonials. Show me your list of clients. People want the proof that you'll do what you say you're going to do. And if you can lay those four things out, you got mm. the basis for a really strong message. But you know, every company I go into, Jeff, one of the the elements of our audit process as we're learning about the company is I want to interview five sellers. And I interview those sellers and I ask them very normal questions. You just called me. I picked up the phone. What do you say? You're sending me an email to get an appointment. What do you write? We've got an appointment. Now you're preparing for that appointment. How do you prepare? How do you run that appointment? And when I ask five people those same questions, I always, not sometimes, but always get five different answers. And that tells me there is absolute room for improvement if everybody's doing their own thing. Mm, I love it. They're acting entrepreneurially and not purposefully. Ah, good point. That, right. That's the best that's the best way I've heard that synopsized. Somebody should write that in a book. I feel like it should like almost be a commitment that they make. Oh, interesting. You know, I was just on with the the local newspaper and the the interviewer said if I were to interview your classmates in high school and college, would they say you're the most likely, you would have been the most likely to write a book or the least likely? And I said, by far the least likely. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out the methodology. Yeah. Get clear, get a plan, set a date, get around the right people, do the work. And if I can get this book done, and move it to bestseller, which is the plan for next week, then anybody listening can too. And I'm not just talking about a book. I'm talking about the promotion. I'm talking about a financial goal you have. I'm talking about a physical goal you have. I'm living proof that it can be done, even when it's likely. So before we wrap, Gene, based on everything that you have done in your career that you've written about in the sales edge, what's the one thing someone can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary when it comes to getting that sales edge and really understanding what their customers want. That is easy. It's clarity of outcome. Less than 10% of people have goals written. And I know we've heard about this for years and centuries, but you would be surprised as somebody that every live session I do, I go through a goal setting session, that people will even sit in that session. I will tee them up. I'll even have a printed piece of paper where they can write things down. I tell them they don't have to share it in public. It's just for them. And how many people just sit there and stare at me blankly? And that, that's on them. I, I'm, I'm setting it. You, know, you can lead a horse to water. You can provide the best water in the world, but people eventually have to drink but clarity of what it is you want to accomplish, getting really, really clear just with yourself. You don't have to announce it to the world and do a Facebook post like, I'm going to run a marathon, whatever. You don't have to do that stuff. But so many people are drifting through life. And here's the truth, especially with today's modern science, 99% of the people listening to this are going to arrive somewhere in 12 months. So you can set that course right now. You can and it takes you 15 minutes to say, you know, if life were perfect 12 months from now, what would that look like? And write it down and simply work backwards. You might have a one thing for your body. You might have it for your career and income. You might have it for your business. Yeah. You might have it for your relationship with your family. But get clear on that. And there's just, it's like a magnet. You, your brain, and then if you follow the other steps, you put a date, you get around the right people, and you do the work that it's, very, there's a gazillion stories of people that did exactly that and got the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I remember always setting goals. I set them 
looking forward though. What do I want to accomplish this year? And I remember when I stepped into Gary and Jay's world and they said, uh-uh, it's, it's, it's backwards. You got to go way out and envision and work back to the five years and the one year. And then the, the real kicker was when Jay helped me understand that most people, when they're setting their goals, they do it by themselves. And then they wonder why they're not on the same page with the people that matter most to them. It's because they set their goals and then presented them at that person and <laughs> wondered why there was no buy-in. And uh, that's part of the reason that we started doing the couple's goal-setting retreat, which I believe you're going to come to, right? Yes, I am. And I'm going to bring my my best gal and we're going to be in there right in the middle of the crowd and we're going we're gonna to get clear on ide- identifying the ideal life and working backwards from there. There you go. Well, folks, if you're interested in learning more about that, go to theonething.com. You can click on the training uh, tab and you can learn more about it there. Gene, where can people learn more about the Sales Edge? Well, for those that are listening right now, immediately you can go to thesalesedge.co and just give me your email address. I will send you a chapter of the book. It's chapter seven, how to run the perfect first meeting. No matter what it is you're selling, eventually you're going to have engagement with your prospect. How do you run that perfect first meeting and have impact? Because that sets the pace and tone for the rest of the relationship. And that's where I go deep into the edge process. So you're prepared mentally and emotionally to ask the right questions in the right order. So get that free chapter. And then, of course, the book's going to be everywhere, most notably Amazon, who's really the the big gorilla that you want to be attached to. It'll be available on Amazon on Monday, July 16th. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much and best of luck with the launch. As always, it's an honor, Jeff, to be in your presence. <laughs> oh, you're the best. <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks, our conversation with Gene McNaughton. Our question for you is, out of everything that you heard, whether it's surrounding yourself with the right people or developing a habit when it comes to educating yourself so that you walk in and you're prepared to build rapport, whether it's developing a gap so you're not just relying on features and benefits, you're actually solving real problems, whether it's creating a greater gap and really helping them understand the impact that this can have over time or creating that emotional connection by mastering telling stories. What's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary for you? If you're listening to the podcast, we hope that you will leave us a rating and review on the platform of your choice. That way it automatically comes to us and we can hopefully spotlight you in a future episode. And if you are not yet subscribed to the show, click the subscribe button. All future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Thanks so much. We'll see you in the next episode. 